You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. All right, good morning, church. Good to see you again. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm uh, Associate Pastor Jake. Our lead pastor, Josh, is up in Alaska right now, uh, his home state, and he is preaching at a men's retreat and also preaching at a church this weekend, um, so pray for him. Uh, but before he left and before I left on paternity leave, he's like, hey, I'm going to be gone when you get back. Uh, do you want to preach? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have so much energy. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to be ready to roll up. Was I on paternity leave for two weeks, or was I in Cabo for four weeks? I don't. They feel the same. They feel the same. I've, ne- I've never been to Cabo, but I've seen pictures. So, um, yeah, excited to be here today to preach, particularly because we are starting a brand new series today. Uh, it's called I Am. And you might have heard that before. It's, this is about the seven I Am statements that show up in the gospel of John. Have you ever heard that phrase, I am or Yahweh? Um, Yeah. So it comes from this, uh, all the way back into the book of Exodus, towards the beginning of the Bible. And it's from that scene uh, with the burning bush. Moses is out near Mount Sinai, uh, which is called the mountain of God. And he is tending to his sheep. And all of a sudden he sees this bush that's engulfed in flames and yet isn't burning up. And so he's amazed by this. He like, starts to walk over, inspect the situation, like, what is happening here? And then all of a sudden, God speaks and says, stop, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And then he proceeds to tell him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at that, Moses is kind of terrified. He hides his face from the Lord. And then at that moment, uh, God tells him what his assignment is, really what his calling is to free the people of uh, Israel from Egypt, bring them into the promised land. And when he tells Moses this, uh, Moses is trying to like get out of this, uh, but God doesn't let him. Uh, Moses, he says, okay, if I go, if I go to the people of Israel, who should I say sent me? And then this is where we get the I am, the Yahweh, the name of God. It says, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name. This is my name to remember for all generations. Uh, From generations past to Moses' generations, all the way up through the early church to now and for eternity. This is God's eternal name. This is very, very significant. Uh, And when we look at this, maybe you're thinking, okay, is it I am or is it Yahweh? He says both here, right? Okay, let's get nerdy for just a quick second. So I am... In Hebrew is Eye, which is like the first person usage of Yahweh. Yahweh is the third person. It's God, I am, Eye, God saying I am. Uh, and then Yahweh is he is, right? So Moses go tell the people he is has sent me. And he doesn't want to confuse him, right? It's like I am has sent me. 
It's like, wait, I am, you am, who am has sent you here? It's he, no, he is, has sent me. That is Yahweh. And that name, Yahweh, I am, uh, really shows us God's name is being. It is existence. It is life. God has no beginning, no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, right? All, he doesn't rely on anything or anyone for existence. For everything that exists proceeds forth from him. He's the author, creator, sustainer of all that is. That is this name. That is who God is. And then what we see in the Gospel of John is that Jesus uses this statement. He uses this phrase, I am Yahweh, seven times in reference to who? To himself. He says, I am. I am Yahweh. I have no beginning, no, and I am the Alpha, the Omega. I am at the beginning of the Gospel of John, right? Everything has been created through him, for him, by him. Right? Everything proceeds from Jesus. He's the author, creator, sustainer of all life, and he is reigning on his throne doing that at this very moment. That's what I am is about. Can I get an amen, church? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. So this is uh, the seven statements that Jesus says about himself. He says this, I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. And then on Easter, here's what we're doing. I am the resurrection. I am the life. So today we're, we're stepping into this first one, taking a deep dive into I am the bread of life. And before we get there, um, let me ask you this. What have you been feeding your soul what have you been filling your soul up with? Uh, we try to feed our souls with so many different things, things that aren't actually that good for us, aren't actually truly nourishing, satisfying to our souls. Um, in essence, what we try to fill our souls with are, are things that are artificial, right? I think of it like if you put a salad in front of me and you put a, like a bag of chips in front of me, what do you think I'm going to choose, okay? I'm not going to choose the salad. I'm going to choose the stuff that's full of salt, sugar, fat, preservatives. That's what I'm going to have, right? Um, and often we do that when it comes to our souls. The stuff that's actually nourishing, we don't choose. We choose the stuff that is artificial. Philip Yancey says, sin tempts us to choose the artificial over the real. The fleeting pleasure over the lasting good. We follow our longings only to find them disordered and unquenchable. So what have you been feeding your soul? That is my question to you this morning. Maybe you've been trying to feed your soul with entertainment, right? One more show, one more series, one more YouTube video after another, one more 40-hour video campaign. Like, what are you feeding your soul? Is it with entertainment? I think that's like one of the main ones that we do in our society, in our culture, in America today, is we fill our souls with entertainment. We stuff our souls full of it so much that our eyes are bulging out of our heads. We're amusing ourselves to death, but in reality, it's just kind of numbing, right? It doesn't actually fully satisfy us. It's just kind of wasting our time, right? It's not satisfying our souls. Um, back in 2018, there's a picture here. 
Uh, I did a month-long fast, no TV, no social media, no coffee. I did it. Um, why? Because I hate myself. I'm pretty sure that's the reason. Um, but the, no, I found myself, I was thinking, am I relying on these things too much? And so I was like, I'm just going to cut them for a month, see what happens. So uh, after the first week or so, I'm like, man, I miss coffee. I just, I love coffee. Uh, but it wasn't like affecting me. It was just kind of like... I just miss it, you know? And then social media, after two days, I was like, I don't care. I don't miss it. it did, nothing, right? Uh, and after two weeks, I could not stop thinking about TV, okay? <laughs> like, every single day, I'm like, I just want to watch a show. I don't care if it's Dora the Explorer. Just show me a show. <laughs> I need to watch something. And I may, I think, I can't remember exactly, but it was like 17 or 18 days and I just watched a movie. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to watch, you know, one movie, and I'll make it to the end of the month, right? No. <laughs> I start putting in a movie every other night, then it shows. I'm, I'm just back to my regular, right? Uh, and what I realized is, like, I had been feeding my soul with the entertainment of TV, and, like, now I can't live without it, right? How weak is that? That's so weak. In Christianity, we call that an idol, by the way. Uh, maybe you've been feeding your soul with, oh. <laughs> it's a Holy Spirit moment. Oh, boy. Amen, amen. So, <laughs> oh, boy. Well, maybe, uh, we'll see, maybe the Spirit's leading us somewhere here. Maybe, uh, maybe you've feeding your soul with entertainment. Maybe it's materialism, you know, more things, more goods, more possessions to fill your soul. Uh, you know, you get that, you're scrolling through Amazon, you get that cart together, you're just so excited, and then you hit that buy now, and it's like all the excitement is just like gone. You're like, okay, well, that was cool for 30 seconds, and then you get the package, you're like, yes, open it up. And then you ch chuck the box and use it a few times. And you're like, okay. Like, are, what are you feeding your soul with? I need another iPhone. I need a bigger house. I need a bigger car, right? A nicer car. Like, what are you trying to feed your soul? Uh, maybe, let's get a little bit real here. Maybe it's substances. Uh, maybe you're feeding your soul with one more drink, right? One more shot, one more glass of beer, one more glass of wine, one more pill, one more toke, one more smoke. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe when you do that, you even know when you're doing that, that it's not going to satisfy you. You know that. But you do it because it is numbing that ache in your soul that is saying, I need something more. I need something real. I need actual substance. Right? That's what your soul is crying out for. Maybe you're trying to feed your soul with sexual desire, swiping right, hooking up, um, maybe even hitting the strip club, maybe um, looking at pornography, uh, maybe looking at basically soft porn that's like on every show these days anyways. Um, maybe it's just looking at somebody lustfully or daydreaming about them or uh, what does that look like for you? Are you trying to fill your soul with sexual desire? Because uh, the, the reality is, the more you feed it, actually, that appetite, it doesn't get quenched or satisfied. It just keeps growing. Just keeps growing. Now, is, is sex bad? No, not at all. 
You need to hear that this morning. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, this is something instituted by God himself. He created it, and he calls it good. But as soon as we begin to detach it from what God has ordained it for, then it begins to consume our souls in a very negative way and leave us feeling more empty than we have ever felt. Or maybe it's not so much sex as it is, as it is a person, right? A relationship. You don't know how to be by yourself, to be alone. You don't know what it's like not to be in a relationship. Maybe going from one relationship to another, trying to get those initial butterfly feelings that fade away all too quickly. Um, nothing can satisfy uh, the soul's deepest longing is not a relationship, not even, not even a spouse, truly. That's a heavy weight to put your whole soul's desires on another person or on a relationship. Or maybe this last one. This one isn't as blatant or as obvious in our society, but success. Are you trying to feed your soul with success and achievements? Um, you know, we, we think, okay, as long as everything is up and to the right, we're good, right? As long as I'm climbing the ladder, uh, getting that next raise, that next promotion, finally getting that six-figure salary, maybe that corner office, or maybe I'm doing the best out of my whole class with all my grades, I'm top student, right? I'm going to graduate with the highest degree, get into the, all the schools or all the programs that I want. As long as things are up and to the right, things are going good and successful, then it's like, oh, my soul's satisfied. Oh, I'm happy. But in reality... You're not, right? We know that because the people at the top, the people with all the success are often the ones who are most miserable. Or how about the stereotypical midlife crisis, right? The person who does get to that spot in their maybe 40s or 50s, they've been working for it all through their 20s and their 30s, and they get to that point, and they're like, this is not what it's cracked out to be. And then they go off into a crisis, right? That's success, living for success. Or what happens if you get laid off, like unexpectedly? Like we're kind of in somewhat of a, of a recession time and maybe headed into even more of that. What happens if you get laid off? What if, happens if you get fired and you're not expecting it? What happens if you don't get the grade that you want, don't pass that exam, don't get into the school you want, don't get the job you want? If you're basing your whole life on success, it's not going to satisfy and success in and of itself, is it a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. But when it becomes the main thing and the only thing and the thing that we're always searching after, then yes, it begins, begins to consume us and never fully satisfies. Thomas Merton said, to try to be happy by being admired by men, by being admired by others, or loved by women, or warm with liquor, or full of lust, or getting possessions and treasures, that turns you away soon from the love of God. Then men, women, and drink, and lust, and greed take precedence over God. That's the issue here. They darken his light. And then we are unhappy, afraid, angry, Fierce, impatient, cannot pray, cannot sit still. That's the bitter yoke of sin. And for this, we leave the mild and easy yoke of Christ. The good news this morning is this, that Jesus, who's the I am, or Yahweh, 
offers you something for your soul that is not fleeting or temporal, but is rich, satisfying, nourishing, life-giving, and eternal. This is what Jesus offers you today. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 6. This is where we're going to be. Uh, when Josh said, you're doing the bread of life, I was like, cool, let me take a look at this. Oh, it's 71 verses? Awesome. That's great. We're not going to get to all that today, okay? I, I know you were scared there for a sec. You're thinking we're going to do it. No, we're not going to do it. But we are going to do a section of this. Let me just recap what's happened right before our passage, which starts in verse 25. So right before this, Jesus does... The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? One of those miracles that's in all the Gospels. Everybody knows it. Jesus takes this kid's happy meal. It's like five loaves, two fish, and he feeds at least 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men. Could be up to 15,000 people or more if you include women and children in that statistic. But he feeds so many people, and it says they're content. Like, they have eaten as much as they wanted to, and there's actually 12 baskets full of bread left over after this whole thing. So then when that happens, the people are like, whoa, Jesus just fed all of us off of this Happy Meal. Let's make him king. So they try to force him to become king. What he does is he retreats up into the hills. He like escapes these people, these crowds. He goes up into the hills, into the mountains uh, to pray, to be alone with God that night. And then the disciples sail away in a boat across the lake. And then that night, uh, the disciples, as they're trying to row uh, to the other side of the lake, they're in the middle of the lake, and there's a huge storm uh, that comes through, and they're terrified. And then all of a sudden, they just happen to see Jesus walking on the water by them. And he says, hey, it, it's I. Don't be afraid. And then it says they gladly welcome him into the boat. And then all of a sudden, they're at their destination. All of a sudden, they are at the shores of Capernaum. And so the next day, all the crowds, they come looking for Jesus because they're like, man, that was a good dinner. Let's go back to Jesus. Let's find him. Let's see what he's got. So they go back to that spot on the Sea of Galilee. They're looking all around. They don't see Jesus anywhere. They don't see his disciples anywhere. And so they think, okay, let's go to Capernaum. Because Capernaum is kind of his base for ministry, his home base for ministry. Uh, and so they get in their boats and they sail across the lake to Capernaum. And then this is where our scene starts. So verse 25 through 27. It says, when they found him, when the crowds found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And so their question, they arrive in synagogue, they arrive in Capernaum, and really, um, they're actually in the synagogue there. And this is where this whole conversation takes place. I actually got to go to that synagogue back, I think it was 2016 or 17, and it's massive, and it's huge. There's these beautiful pillars everywhere. And so they're in this synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus' home base for ministry. And they ask him, they're like, so when did you get here? But they're not actually asking like when, they're asking more of a how. Because they're like, wait, so you were on the other side of the lake 
and we saw you go up into the mountains, and now you're on the other side of the lake at Capernaum the next morning. Like, how'd you get here, right? And Jesus kind of just bypasses all this silliness. And he's like, okay, not when, not how, but he addresses the real question of the why. Why are they there? He says, listen, you're here not because you want me, but because of what I can give you. They don't want Jesus. They want more bread. They want breakfast. They're like, you remember that dinner, Jesus? Uh, I don't know about if you got like a pancake platter back there, maybe some maple bars, like it, it, it's breakfast time. Um, I, I love some, some more bread this morning. And really what they're looking for is something that's going to satisfy their stomachs for a few hours when Jesus is offering them something that's going to satisfy their very souls. They want the gifts more than the gift giver, right? And how often do we do that to Jesus? We want the things he can give us more than he, he himself. You know, the stereotypical, okay, give me, give me a bigger house, Lord, then I'll be happy. Give me, a big, give me a nicer car. Give me the newest iPhone. But also, even things like hope and peace and love and joy. Do we want those things more than we want Jesus himself? When you have Jesus, here's what he says. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first his righteousness and everything will be added to you. You will have everything that you need. Seek him first. That's what he says here. Um, Yancey, again, talking about St. Augustine. St. Augustine lived a wild life, like a life of debauchery, had kids out of wedlock, all sorts of stuff. He climbed the ranks of power in Rome. This is back in the three to 400s AD. Um, and really like wealth, money, power, women, uh, philosophy, intelligence, everything you could think of, like this guy sought after it all. And finally, he found what he was looking for in Jesus. Yancey says this of him. He says, Augustine knew well the seductions of the desires that might tempt him away from the giver of the good gifts. For this reason, he prayed for God to gather together his scattered longings and keep them in their proper place. He says this, I had my back to the light and my face turned towards the things upon which the light fell. He said of the desires he felt during his days as a pagan. Only as he turned to face the light could he see the generous source of all good things. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm that generous source. I'm the, I'm the gift giver. And you're not here for me. You're here for the gifts that I can offer you. And then he says this, don't work for the food that's here today, gone tomorrow, that's perishing. Work for the food that is eternal. Because what he, this is what the sign was all about. This is what the feeding of the 5,000 was all about. It's a sign pointing to him, right? To who he is and what he can offer them. And it's not just simply this bread, this one-time giving of bread, but it's something that the soul is craving, desiring, hungering after. And so when the crowd hears Jesus respond like this, they're not really that excited. Honestly, they're kind of confused, a little bit mad that they're not getting that free continental breakfast. And they fire back at Jesus with some very accusatory questions. And so they, they say this, pick up your text again, uh, verses 28 through 29. It says, then they said to him, what must we do 
to be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so Jesus says, okay, don't work for that food that's perishing, work, work for the eternal food. And so they kind of start to catch on a little bit, and they're like, okay, I think he's talking about something spiritual here. And so they say, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And what they're thinking is, they're thinking of the works of the law. They're thinking of the Torah. They're thinking of what Moses wrote down, right? What works must we do to obtain eternal life, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with an extremely offensive statement. He says, believe. He says, believe in the one whom God has sent. And it's offensive because as humans, we, we prefer to earn. We prefer to do things based on our own goodness, based on our merits, working our way upwards to God. That's how we approach life. That's how we approach God. That's really what every other religion says, whether it's Islam, um, whether it's um, Buddhism, whether it's LDS, like all, every other religion says, you got to work your way to eternity. Do all these things to make sure you're good enough, right? And it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. I, that's the way most non-religious people think as well. They think, hey, I'm a good person. I do good things. Um, I remember my brother and I were, my brother-in-law and I, were, we were down at a coffee shop. This is a while back, several years back. And he starts into this conversation with the owner. And I don't remember how they got into this, but uh, the dude is like, you know, if there is a heaven, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm going there. And my brother-in-law is like, well, why do you think that? And he's like, well, I'm a good person. He's like, I do a lot of good stuff for other people. Right? And then my brother-in-law is like, actually, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I'm like, oh, shoot, this is getting real. Right? <laughs> And when I say, oh, shoot, that guy said something else. And he's like, oh, he's like, you got to be kidding me. And uh, so they got into a real conversation. It was hilarious. It was amazing, actually. Um, but that's how most non-religious, that's just how your everyday average person thinks, is I'm a good person. I do good things. Therefore, I ought to obtain eternal life. I ought to get access to heaven. So this is a very offensive statement that Jesus says. He says, it's not because of you. It's not because of your works. He says, believe. Later in John 6, uh, this is our same chapter, 663, the spirit alone gives eternal life. This is what Jesus says. The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Wow. Again, this is very offensive to us. Your human, your human effort accomplishes nothing when it comes to your salvation. Believe. And this is actually kind of the thesis for John's whole gospel. Uh, any students in the room right now? College, high school, whatever? You writing a thesis statement for any of your papers? This is John's thesis statement for the whole book. It's right at the end. John 20. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He's basically saying, listen, Jesus did so many miracles. You don't even know. Can't even write them all down. Okay? But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what, that's what all this is about. Right? This is what Jesus is trying to tell these folks right here and now. And really, What's on the screen right now, that is the gospel. That's the good news for you. 
Maybe today you need to hear this and accept it and believe it for the very first time. And we invite you to do that. We would love to talk to you, maybe our prayer team. Um, you can put that down on a connect card if you want to get baptized. Today is the day of salvation for you. It doesn't matter if your life is a mess. Jesus says, come to me, believe. So maybe you've been trying to earn your way to God in, through religiosity, spirituality, whatever that is. Let that go and believe in Jesus today. He is here. He is saying, come to me, believe, and I am giving you life and life eternal. That's what Jesus offers them. Pick up your text again. The crowd responds to Jesus. They don't necessarily like what he has to say here. In 30 through 31, they said to him, okay, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the crowd kind of starts to realize, okay, Jesus is talking more about spiritual stuff. And then they realize Jesus is talking about himself. They're saying, believe in the one whom he has sent. Oh, okay, so you're saying you're the one that God has sent. All right, we'll believe in you. As long as you show us a sign. And it's like, were you not there yesterday? Did you not see the feeding of the five, five loaves, 5,000? Like, think, McFly, what's going on up here? Like, this is an incredible miracle. You've never seen anything like this in your life. And you're saying, yeah, just show us a sign. And really what they're asking for, they say, Moses gave our ancestors manna in the wilderness. So this was this daily provision of bread, right? They're kind of taking this whole spiritual situation and turn it, turning it back to the physical, turning it back to the material and saying, well, okay, Jesus, we actually don't want just this one sign. We actually want you to feed us every day, just like Moses did in the wilderness. Why don't you give us food and bread every single day? And how often do we do that very same thing where it's like we turn it from the spiritual back to the physical, Okay, Jesus, as long as you give me what I want, you give me what I need, then you're proving yourself to be God. Then you're proving that you're here, that you're with me, right? And that's what they're doing to Jesus. Okay, if you're really who you say you are, then do exactly what we want you to do. When in reality, Jesus is offering them something, not simply for their stomachs, but for their souls. And this is how Jesus responds to them. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. <clears throat> so Jesus makes this correction right from the start. He says, okay, first of all, it wasn't Moses who gave you this bread in the wilderness. It was actually God. It was God the Father. And so again, he takes things from the material, the physical, to the spiritual. And he's saying, my Father is offering you true bread from heaven, something that's going to satisfy more than just your stomachs. And he reveals that he is the manna that has come down from heaven, and that is going to satisfy them. And then he makes this most audacious claim 
that would have been audacious to them and that we have been waiting for this very moment. This is what he says. He says, our last verse today, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. This is the first official I am statement in the Gospel of John. This is Jesus revealing to the crowds, in the synagogue, revealing to the religious leaders, to the people who stand before him, saying, I am, I am Yahweh. I am the God in flesh among you who is offering you something that your soul is craving. I am the bread of life. And one of the reasons it's important, this is important that Jesus says, I am, revealing his divine identity, is this, that nothing can hold the weight of your soul's desires for God except God himself. And that's Jesus. No relationship, no job, um, no degree, no bank account can hold the weight of your soul's desire for God except God himself. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am your soul's desire, and I am offering you myself. I am the bread of life. And so here's our main point today. It's simple. It's this. Feed your soul with the bread of life. Feed your soul with the bread of life. Feed your soul all that your soul desires with Jesus himself. That's the cravings of your soul. That's the longings of your soul. That's the thirst, the hunger of your soul is Jesus himself. And he is going to give you life. And there's two words in the Greek that are primarily used for life. The first one is bios. It's just kind of like physical life, right? The second one is zoe, uh, which refers more to like the quality of life and the, the quantity, like the et eternality of life. And that's what is used right here when Jesus says, I am the bread of zoe. I am the bread of life. Life here and now that is qualitatively so satisfying, that is going to quench your thirst, uh, that is going to feed the hunger of your soul truly. Uh, he's saying, I am the bread of life, life that is eternal that I'm offering you today, life everlasting that stretches into eternity. That is what I am offering you. Uh, this word zoe shows up a few more times in our passage in our chapter. It says, for this is the will of my Father. This is Jesus speaking. He says, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal zoe, life. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal zoe. I am the bread of Zoe, life. I'm the bread of life, and that is what your soul is craving today. Feed your soul with the bread of life. Don't you want that? Man, don't you want Jesus to satisfy your soul? I love that. He says, whoever comes to me, you're not going to hunger. You're not going to thirst anymore. I am going to satisfy those things. All the cravings, longings of your desire are fulfilled in Jesus. One commentator put it like this. Jesus intended to be to the soul what bread is to the body. It's food. And Jesus nourishes our soul. Uh, I saw this this week on Instagram. It's a worship blog or something like that. But it's really cool. I thought this was awesome. It says, science says we need four things to survive. 
air, water, food, and light. Uh, what the Bible says about Jesus, number one, he is the breath of life. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. Jesus is all we need to live. That's science, apparently, right? <laughs> science says, man, Jesus is all you need to live. And so come to Jesus. Would you do that today? This is not simply a one-time thing. Yes, it is. That's the beginning where you come to Jesus and you surrender your entire life to him and you will experience a satisfaction, a craving of your soul that is filled by Jesus himself. But it is also something that we do each and every day of our lives. And every single day that you do, if you wake up morning and you spend those few minutes with Jesus in the quietness of the day, if you take that lunch break and you go on that prayer walk, if you crack open his word and you start reading, if you're praying, if you're in community and discipleship, anything that you do to come into the presence of Jesus, he's going to fill your soul with his life. He's going to fill your soul with his goodness, his presence, his joy. Feast on his presence. Feed your soul with his life. Um, there's something that has kind of been a phenomenon that kind of just wrapped up this last week, um, known as the Asbury Revival, or the Asbury Outpouring. Uh, on Wednesday, February 8th, on just kind of a routine chapel service that's happening, the students are literally, they have to go to it. Uh, this is at Asbury in Kentucky. It's a university. There's a seminary there as well. Uh, apparently, it's kind of a lackluster message. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then students just stick around. And some of them go off to class. And there's a small group of them. And they just start kind of praying for each other. And they start kind of confessing sin to each other and repenting and just like praying and experiencing God's presence. And then all of a sudden, students are asking their professors, hey, can I leave to go back to chapel? I'm feeling drawn back to there for some reason. And all of a sudden, you, there's literally students who are actually running from their classrooms, from their dorms, back to the chapel. And the chapel gets filled up with the students that night. They end up praying all night. They end up worshiping all night. And, and this starts to, to catch fire. Starts to, people start to hear about it. And within a week and a half, there's over 100,000 people from all over our country, from all over the world, that come to Asbury. Because there's something happening there. Uh, I, I heard the story of even a, a Chilean couple who sold uh, their cars uh, so they could buy plane tickets to get all the way to Asbury. There's people standing in line, uh, literally like over uh, 1,000 people at a time standing outside the 1,500-person chapel auditorium waiting to get in from midnight hours in the cold. What are they doing there? Why are they there? Nothing but the presence of God. They just want God. That's what people doing there. They want the presence of God. There's nothing like that's, it's not a huge worship concert. There's no lights. They don't even have a screen. There's no lyrics this entire time. It went for 15 days straight. 
People praying, people worshiping, people confessing, repenting, people experiencing the hope, the love, the joy, the peace of God in that place. Man, isn't that beautiful? In our day, in our time, what's God doing? One of my friends, Matt, uh, he leads InterVarsity at BSU. Any InterVarsity crew this morning? No, yeah, no, one, boom, love it. Um, Yeah, my friend Matt leads that. He leads it for the whole uh, region of Southern Idaho. And he, I texted him on Wednesday night because Thursday was the collegiate day of prayer, and that's actually how the Asbury uh, revival kind of wrapped up with 1,500 students in uh, their experience of the presence of God on the collegiate day of prayer. So Wednesday night, I text him. I'm like, hey, dude, what can our church be praying for on the collegiate day of prayer tomorrow? And he doesn't text me back till next morning. I'm like, oh, that's fine. Then he texts me. He's like, dude, I'm here. I'm at Asbury. I'm like, what? And he tells me some things we can be praying for. And, and he tells me just kind of like what his experience was overnight there. He says this about the Asbury outpouring. He says, it's simple. It's student-led. It's one of the most beautiful things. God's moving in Gen Z. It's student-led. It's gentle and sweet. There's continuous worship, public confession, radical generosity, longing for this to spread on every campus, and hunger for God's love. There's unity in the room. Students are knowing that God loves them, that he's with them, he cares for them, that he is real. That's people's experience there. That's Matt's experience there. And the beautiful thing about all of this is that we can experience that right here in this room. You can experience that in your house. You can experience that driving in your car to work tomorrow. The presence of God, feeding your soul with the bread of life, feasting on the presence of Jesus. That can go with you wherever you go. So here's what we're gonna do this morning as we feed our souls with the bread of life. We're gonna take a few moments to take communion Band is going to come up here. We're going to feast on the presence of Jesus, the bread of life, through taking the bread, which is his body given for us. Taking the cup, which is his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And at the end here, we're just going to leave some space for you. What is God stirring in your spirit this morning? What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? Do you hear him? Is he nudging you towards something? Do you need the hope, the peace, the presence of Jesus? Do you need to give your life to him for the very first time this morning? Do you need to confess and repent of something, turn your life around, turn towards Jesus? Do you just need the presence of God? That's what this time is for. We're going to take a few moments to take communion, remember Jesus in that way. We're going to have our prayer team up here through these next several songs. And they want to pray for you. They're here for you this morning. Come forward for prayer if you need it. Let's worship Jesus with all that we have. Take a few moments to be in his presence. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.